High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Garrett, Youth Pastor at High Praise Panama City. I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. No matter if you just missed a service or if you happen to stumble across our show, we believe and we pray that God is going to bless you through today's episode. So open up your hearts, receive what God has in store for you. Um, We're going to wrap up wilderness tonight. Amen. Thank God. I feel like we've been talking about this for a while. Uh, Go with me to Joshua 6. Go to Joshua chapter 6. Who here has heard of Jericho? Have heard? Oh, well, there you go. I'm bringing it back. We are going to talk about Jericho. So just to kind of recap the past few weeks, all right, we started with the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. Okay, they left Egypt. We we talked about the importance of of them leaving Egypt and crossing the what? The Red Sea. Thank you, thank you. So we crossed the Red Sea first, and then we got to, what was the name of the mountain we got to in week two? Mount Sinai. And then last week, Pastor Joshua took us across what? Anyone know the name of the river we crossed last week? Starts with a J. Jordan, there we go. So we crossed the Jordan into the promised land last week after how many years of wandering the desert? 40 years of wandering the desert because why? Because they wouldn't stop complaining. They, yeah, and they worshiped a cow, which is just so one of the great mysteries of Scripture. But anyway, can't chase that yet. So we've crossed the Jordan. We are now officially into the promised land. So I, I've got to rewind just briefly. So at the beginning of Joshua... The first um, battle, the first conquest, however you want to call it, uh, that the Israelites are going to face after they come into the promised land is Jericho. So Joshua sends out two spies uh, to scout out the land to kind of see you know, what they're about to face. So they actually cross the Jordan first, go into Jericho, and they realize that all the people are already terrified. They meet a prostitute by the name of Rahab, and Rahab basically helps them hide, uh, ends up hiding them in her house, and then uh, even helps, helps them escape. Uh, once that the the people of Jericho realize what's going on. In exchange, uh, she helps them escape and hides them in exchange for her safety once they take over the city. And anyone want to take a guess why Rahab, a prostitute in Jericho, would help two spies um, infiltrate their city and escape peacefully? Anyone take a guess? No, that's fine. I just needed a drink anyway. Um So basically what has happened is the testimonies and the stories of the Israelites have reached the ears of Jericho. They've already heard about how they've left Egypt. They've heard about how God has been feeding them manna falling from the heavens every day. They've already heard about this pillar of fire that is going in front of them or this in the pillar of cloud that's in front of them during the day. They've heard about how the Red Sea has split in two and this people group of at least a million to two million people crossed it. And so there's these great stories and testimonies, like the, the legend of the Israelites is growing. And, and the people of Jericho realize once they cross the Jordan, we're next. Okay, they've not lost a battle yet. They have, God has taken care of them. He, he has just done miraculous, miraculous things. And the people of Jericho realize that they're kind of next on the hit list. And so Rahab basically tells them this, and is like, they're like, why are you helping us? And she basically says, because your God is God, and it's been proven, and so I know that. 
says, so I'm going to help you because I know that this city is basically doomed. But when I help you, I want to, I want me and the rest of my family uh, to be safe, that there no harm can come to us. So they agree. All right, so then we fast forward. But I just needed to explain that to you guys so you understand when I start reading this story, what's actually going on. So Joshua 6, verse 1 through 5. Okay, Joshua 6, verse 1 through 5 says this. It says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. The ark was uh, basically where like, God's presence presided. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and, all, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So God is giving instructions to the Israelites as to how to conquer Jericho. So verses, I'm gonna, I'm kind of gonna give you a lot here, so just don't, don't wander off, okay? Verses 10 through 14 say this: says, But Joshua commanded the people, they've gotten up, they're getting ready for the first day. You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking around the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did this for six days. Days. So for six days, they are wandering around. They are circling. Two million people are walking around this city for six days. What stands out to you the most about this story so far? What, Pat? Silence. Notice, we talked about this. If your memory hopefully doesn't fail you, what did God say to the Israelites whenever the Israelites saw the Egyptians coming? He said, I will fight for you if what? If you would just be silent. And so here we are, fast forward 40 years. If you read, I think it's Joshua 5, uh, the chapter before this. If you read that chapter, uh, Joshua goes through and has to circumcise all the men of Israel. Because only, the, only those that had left Egypt were, were circumcised. And he goes through and he says, now we can go into the promised land because everyone that had left Egypt is dead. So none, no, not a single one of the Israelites that left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and wandered in the desert got to see the promised land. This is a completely new generation of Israelites. Israelites that were literally raised in the wilderness. And the first test they have to pass once they come into the promised land is the very same test that the previous generation failed. You see what's happening? God says, I told your ancestors, your parents, your grandparents, if they would just be quiet, I'd fight for them. And they go to Mount Sinai, and what do they do? They complain. 
They complained for water. They complained about this. They complained about wanting to go back to Egypt. They complained about that. They complained. It was, just, it was a nonstop battle of trying to get them to be quiet. After a year in the wilderness, they send, the two, they send the, all the spies over into the promised land. They come back. Only Joshua and Caleb give, give a good report. And God says, now you're going to wander the desert for 40 years because you do not believe what I'm trying to do. And so again, here we are. This generation crosses into the promised land, and the first test that they're put to is what? Be quiet. How many of you think you could um, pass a obedience test of being quiet? Anyone here really bad at the quiet game? I, I know who's bad at the quiet game. I just don't want to call you out in here right now. But if I had betting money, I would not pick some of you to win the quiet game. But basically, <laughs> but basically, so God says to the people, he says, you're not actually going to fight them. But for six days, everyone's going to get up, walk around the city once, and then sit down. But you can't make a noise. You cannot talk. Why, for, why, why in the world do you think that God would say for six days, you're not going to make a noise? There is so much that we could talk about with this one little rule God gives to the Israelites. Because does it really matter if they talk or not? Is it going to affect anything if they talk or not? It's not like Jericho doesn't know they're there. It's two million people. One of the problems I think most of us, if we were super honest with ourselves, or maybe just a little bit honest with ourselves, is we have a real hard time doing the things necessary when we don't understand them. Right? How many of you are why people? How many of you have to ask why? Yeah? 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 Mom comes and tells you to do something. Dad comes and tells you to do something. Any of you have like a teacher who tells you to do something, and your instant reaction is why? They tell you to do something this way, and we look like, why? Hey, don't do this. Well, why? Any of you gone through that phase? My, my kids are kind of in that phase right now. It's super annoying. But most of us do the exact same thing with the Lord. And again, this whole series has been about trying to get you from one place to, to another. And I, I so strongly believe that one of the most untapped things Christians go through is that Christians actually never fully grasp what it means to live in freedom. And most of the time, we don't understand what it actually means to live in freedom. For one, we can't keep our mouth shut. But two... We, we don't understand how to get there. And so many people, we, we put a limit on what we allow God to do in our life simply because if we don't understand it, we're not going to give him permission. And so we, stand, we walk around just with this constant mindset of, well, why God? Well, why God? Well, why God? Well, your word says this. I love when people call me at win, on Wednesdays at 7.30. Well, why God? Well, God, why can't I do that? Well, why can't I? Why can't, why can't I have sex before marriage? Well, why can't we smoke? Well, why can't I talk like that? Why can't I joke like that? Well, why can't I do that? And we, we literally just live in this time of like, well, God, if you're not just going to give me full clarity and answer every single question, then I'm going to have a real hard time following you. And then who in that situation is actually God? It is so stinking frustrating watching people put up this wall between them and the Lord simply because they have this position of like, well, until every answer is, every question is answered, I'm not going to do it. Well, until I have a full understanding, if you fully understand a God, God would not be God. That is not an invitation to call me right now. If you fully had a grasp on everything to do with the Lord, 
you would be on the same on the same level as God. But for whatever reason, this is what we do. Even if we don't admit it, even if we don't think about it like this, this is why so many of us uh, halt our growth when it comes to our spiritual walk is because we hit this wall of like, well, I, you know, I just don't understand that, so I can't go any further with this. Well, I don't understand why God would say that. I don't understand why Jesus would say that. You know, I've been in ministry for a long time, and there are passages of Scripture I don't understand. But you know what I, you know where my trust is in with all this and where I hope that you grow to put your trust in is that your trust has got to become in God's character and who he is as a living God and not just your understanding or scriptures that talk about him or preachers that talk about him or leaders that pray and talk about him. Because if we are honest, most of our faith <coughs> is not tied to who Jesus is as a person. It's tied to what we understand about Jesus. And that's a very faulty way of living. It's actually a, a, a um, there is a, there is a, what's the word? There is a countdown for that kind of believing. Because people who, whose, your faith is constructed that way, you eventually will hit the place where your understanding runs dry and then you walk away from the Lord. Not because you ever actually had faith in God, you had faith in your, your ability to understand God. Let me just break something to you. If you don't know this, I'm going to break your hearts right now. God himself will bring you to a place where you don't understand it, and you don't understand him. He himself will bring you into that season. Not because he wants to be some voodoo mysterious guy. He doesn't want you to know him. But I assure you, in life, you will be brought to this place more than once where your only option is going to be following blindly. It is going to be having a full, tra full trust and full faith in who He is, not your understanding of Him, not in your understanding of Scripture, not in your, not in your understanding or in your faith or your even love for church or your ability to understand me or some other pastor. I was... I was reading. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I was reading a book the other day, and this guy was talking about how we have failed uh, most of our younger generation simply because we are teaching you to put faith in ideologies and in um, and 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 basically concepts, but not Jesus Himself. And we, if we teach, if I teach you guys, if we teach y'all, hey, have faith that prayer works. Now, I want you to have faith that prayer works, but if your faith is in prayer and not in Jesus, then we've messed it up. If, if your faith is, is that, the, uh, that the altar works and not that Jesus works, then we've messed it up. If, I mean, we could talk about this with almost every single concept of our faith. We can get so gung-ho and so wrapped around. And I hear, you know, young Christians especially like, man, I just, I really love this about God. Or, man, this is really working in my life. Or, you know, fasting might really work for you. Prayer might be really working for you. Devotions might be really working for you. Church might be really working for you. But if all of those things don't enhance your relationship with Jesus, then it's going to fail you one day. And so the test that the Israelites are having to face is not just being quiet. It is not asking questions. Because God simply says this, be quiet and for six days don't say a word and just walk around the city. This isn't something they've done before. This is not some tactic they understand. There is no history in this. There is nothing. And most of us might last the first day, right? Because sometimes I'll make this comment, or you might have heard this before in your church, like, hey, I just want to challenge you for like six days, read your Bible for 30 minutes a day. 
or if you've ever started a diet, or if you've ever started to break a habit, if you ever started something, usually the first maybe one or two days are like super easy, and by day three, it's like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I wonder how long within, the, especially the six days, where there's not a noise being made and there's not a single moment where, where any of the walls begin to shake, how do, how do two million people stay quiet and not start talking about, how oh, this, is, this ain't going to work? How long do you think you could walk around a, an entire city? We're not talking about walking around the church or a football field track. We're talking about walking around an entire city and doing it for six days quietly. And then on the seventh day, you're going to do it seven times, and then all these walls are just going to fall. How long do you think you could last before you start questioning how insane you are? How long would it take you to start questioning Joshua? How long would it, I mean, this, again, this is, the, this is the descendants of the generations that when Moses disappeared for a few days, they made a golden calf. How long are they walking around the city before they start to question if Joshua is the right guy? How long do they, how hot, how tired, how ridiculous is this notion before we start wondering and asking? I wish they would tell us what's going on. One of the most, I think, something I've thought about a lot over the past month, you don't get to communicate details to two million people. You just don't. There's no microphone, there's no megaphone, there is no mass text, church center, group meet app to let two million people Guys, this is what's going on, this is the plan, and this is what we're doing. Two million people were told to just get up and start walking. And that's it. And for most of us, if, if I came before you today and said, hey guys, you know, I feel like God wants to do something miraculous in your life. He wants to bring victory in your life, but he wants you to go to your school every day at 6 a.m., walk around at one time, don't say a word, and on Saturday, go do it seven times, and then scream as loudly as you can. No one here takes me, would take me seriously. And you might do it once, and probably halfway through the first time, you'd be like, I look like an idiot. I would never. See, it, and for most of you, it wouldn't even be so much about the marching. It would be about staying quiet. Because typically, our own worst enemy is ourself. I'm going to go on. Let me finish this story out. So Joshua 6, 15 through 17 says this. It says, On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times, and at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. So they do it seven times. They shout, and the walls of Jericho come crashing down, and they plunder the city. And the test of the Israelites was not so much about the marching as it was about the silence and the timing. Most, so much of this story has to do with timing. Because if we were honest, we like, to, we like to do things on our time. We want God to do things on our time. How many of you um, 
have ever struggled. You can just just raise your hand. We're just having honest therapy time here tonight. Told you. I, I still I got to find a good way to respond to that because I just haven't found one yet. Um, what's it saying? Therapy time. We're having therapy time. How many of you would be honest enough to say you get frustrated with God because things don't happen as quickly as you would like? Amen. How many of you have ever had a great time at an altar and felt super discouraged the very next day? Yeah, you ain't raising your hand, you lying. Because what happens is we have the shout moment, but we really struggle with the six days of marching. And we can come here and we shout together, and we make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and we have a great time. But the six days of silence, and the six days of marching, and the six days of questions, and the six days of consistency, and the six days of not hearing anything, and the six days of, of not, you know, whatever else you want to call it, is frustrating. It's rough. To say the least, it's, it's extremely difficult on most of our faith. I tell people, like, all the time, especially those that are like, I have, like my youth pastor friends, like, the, the number one day that I talk to other people in youth ministry is Thursdays. Because if there's any one day that we need encouragement and I need to hear good things from other people, it's Thursday morning. Because Wednesdays are great, but when I wake up Thursday, I'm exhausted. I'm like, oh, I just can't do this anymore. And so many of us, we have the exact same mindset. We could, you can, maybe on a Sunday morning, we'll just use Wednesday because y'all are here. We can have a, ph a phenomenal time with the Lord on a Wednesday night. We can maybe be filled with the Spirit. We can have a leader pray over us and just have a great time before the Lord. Feel like something great happened in our lives. And hear me, I'm not discounting the altar at all. But what is extremely difficult is to not wake up in the morning and like an angel be flapping its wings in your face. Like your new life is here. And most of us, we wake up and we're like, oh my God. This is exhausting. Or that next day back at school, and you're like, all right, I am not cussing today. And you walk in, you're like, just instantly. And then the whole day is shot because you did the one thing. Man, that one got a lot of you, didn't it? Everyone just put their head down. It's all right. Never mind. We accept defeat so quickly because... Because that next day, or for most of us, that first day of like, we can leave here and be like, all right, I am not doing X, Y, or Z anymore. I have broken off this friendship. I am not talking to this person. Or I'm breaking up with this person tomorrow. I'm going to be a light in my school. And we can usually like have like, we have direction, right? And so the beginning of the story, Joshua has direction. He is, God has spoken to him, not to all 2 million people. He has spoken directly to Joshua and said, these are your instructions to see victory. Do this. March, be quiet for six days. Seventh day, do it seven times. Make a joyful noise. Everything else will be yours. It's real simple instructions. Would you agree? It's nothing super complex. And hear me, it's almost the simplicity of the gospel that messes people up. Sometimes I genuinely think that if, if the gospel and if our relationship with Jesus was just like more like Harry Potter where like we get to like conjure up stuff all the time and learn spells to cast out demons, people would be way more interested. But the gospel is actually way more simple than that. And the Holy Spirit works far more, far more simpler, I guess that's a word, than we would like. 
I think it's the simplicity that bores people when we wander off because simple consistency is not always exciting. Marching around a city for six days being quiet, nothing exciting is happening. Nothing exciting is happening. Nothing. What's funny is even if you think about it at this point, there's no more, there's no more pillar of fire or cloud. There's no more manna. There's no more super obvious, noticeable presence of God. They just have to do what they're told, and they have to do what they're told by their leader. So this is a test of consistency. The first test they had to pass was a test of consistency. And for many of you, I think this is the wall that you've got to move past is this test of consistency, not a test of responding in a moment or not a test of even a couple days, but a test of can you remain consistent? Can you do something for days without feeling anything, hearing anything, seeing anything happen? Because for me, by day three, if I'm not at least seeing some of these walls shake when I walk around, I'm not hearing any rumblings, nothing else is happening, I've lost my manna, there's no more crazy pillar of fire, smoke, God, crazy things happening, and here we are just wandering, doing what some dude I've probably never seen or talked to before is telling me to do. But I'm just one in two million trying to accomplish something God's told us to do. But it took all two million people to be obedient. It took all two million people to do what God had asked them to do to accomplish this. I want to read you a scripture real quick out of uh, Philippians. It says, do not be, sorry, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, and the, everyone say, peace of God. That's P-E-A-C-E, not P-I-E. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. This was... This was the moment when the Israelites had to decide, were they just going to worship what they could control, like we talked about with the golden calf? Or are they going to worship what they can understand, or are they just going to follow? And for most of us, I think this is what happens to us. We come to this place where things are typically somewhat pretty easy. You know, church is great, and all these other things can be great in our lives. And then we get tested on this, and this is where we just end up wandering the desert for 40 years because we cannot get past not being able to understand God. And if you only worship what you can understand, you will only ever worship yourself. And if you can't move past this, this idea that, well, if I don't understand it, if I don't have a full grasp of it, if God doesn't, if God's so God, then why can't he answer my questions? You don't get to demand from the Lord what he explains to you and what he does not. And if you need more than one example of that, the Bible is full of them. I think, did God explain to Peter what would happen if he got out of the boat? No. Did God explain, get, answer all of Jonah's questions? No. Did God ensure uh, the three brothers in the book of Daniel that they wouldn't be burned up in the fire? No. Did Daniel, I mean, we could go 
list, name, story, chapter, book, and verse of people who great things happened to them, but great things didn't happen to them because God said, all right, here's the blueprint. I'm going to answer, you know, we're going to have a little leadership meeting or understand everything. Now go do it. God just said, hey, this is what you're going to do. Go do it. And for most of us, we can't, we can't grasp that. And we sit and you and you sit here tonight and you have this mindset of, well, you know, if I really understood why it's bad to, to not smoke, I'd quit. If I, if God really understood it, and if I just, if he showed me and he'd answer my questions, I'd quit. That's not a child. That's not how, that's not how children of God operate. And again, I know this is a hurdle for most people. Because we hear them, we're like, huh. Well, that's not how I operate. You're going to answer my questions. I'm going to do what I want. And you would never pass Jericho. You would never pass it. Notice they had made it into the promised land, but there were still battles to face in the promised land. And over the past few weeks, we've been putting a big emphasis on what it means to cross over into the promised land. But now that, now that you're in the promised land, for those of you that have really made that decision or really for, pushing that in your life, there are walls that got to come down. Pastor Joshua talked about it last week. There are beehives to rob, and there are animals to milk, and there are giants to slay. The promised land is not the place where you have been brought to for you to, to just sit in the oasis and just receive from God all day long, and angels visit you to bring you revelation too deep to understand. Many of you have been called into a place, and hear me, you've been called into this place right now. I'm not talking about when you're 20, 25, or 30. I'm talking about right now. God is trying to bring you into a season where he literally, I believe, wants you to slay giants, tear down walls, and go to work. And I'm not talking about serving, just serving the church. I'm talking about in, with your faith and your daily, every day, six days of marching around the wall, life. But some of us, we arrive in the promised land and that doesn't look as, that doesn't look as um, exciting as the wilderness was. Because God was way more evident in the wilderness. Manna fell from the heavens every day in the wilderness. I think one of the hardest transitions that would have happened for the people of Israel would have been that they had to go from being dependent to independent. And it's one of the hardest transitions for most, uh, most, most people our age, your age, is learning to go from being a dependent Christian who is dependent upon other people, dependent upon the church, dependent upon the, the preachers and the worship leaders and the Bible app and whatever else you want to call it, and becoming an independent Christian who can function and operate. And when is told to march around a, a, a city for seven days with ridiculous instruction, can do it. And not question it, not because we understand everything, but because our trust and our understanding is with, them, is with God. The reason I read you this verse in Philippians is simply this. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says in Philippians that when you pray, you don't pray to gain understanding. You pray to a God that if you genuinely have belief in, 
the peace of your faith in the God that you believe is faithful will guard your hearts and minds from you trying to gain understanding. The reason he says peace that will surpass all understanding will guard your hearts and guard your minds when you pray. It doesn't say that you'll just be like, oh, all right, God got it. He's, you know, that, that's it. It says that in that moment when you are grasping and trying your hardest to understand God, that peace will guard your hearts and minds that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't mean that it brings you understanding. It means it surpasses all understanding. And there's a huge difference there. I want you to think about for a moment what it would have been like for you. Um, sorry, what it would be like for you to receive some kind of instruction from God. Because reality is, most of you have received it. You just don't read your Bible to figure out that you received it. You've been given instruction on how to live your life. In the same way that the Israelites have been given instruction on how to defeat Jericho, you've been given instruction on how to live your life, to conquer giants, to tear down walls, to do all of these things. And what's one of our greatest hindrances, besides not reading it, is reading it and saying, that just doesn't make sense. Imagine, again, being that Israelite who says, you know, I don't understand that. I'm not going to do it. That doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem how God operates. That doesn't seem like the Lord. That doesn't really seem like, you know, something that's going to work. That's just not really me or my style. I don't really, I'm not really much of a walker. Imagine the excuses that would flood, and I think this is the exact same thing that happens to us every single day. We go to church, you hear a message, you read your Bible, hopefully, you talk to a leader, you talk to other Christian friends, and you hear things, and our response is just simply, well, nah, that's not really how I want to do it. I don't really understand that. I just want to tell you something that's I'm not trying to be blunt. I mean, I am trying to be blunt, but I'm not trying to be mean. We're too dumb to understand everything about God. I'm too dumb, and you're too dumb. And if God gave you every piece and showed you everything He was trying to do, we would mess it up horribly. If God said to, to, to Joshua and the Israelites, hey, I'm working on an idea on how to let make the walls of Jericho fall. Well, we got two million guys. We'll take care of it, God. We can do this. We'll, we'll, we know how to, we know how to, we can take care of a wall. There's way more of us than there are them. They'd have messed it up. Entirely messed it up. And we do the exact same thing. We take God into our own hands and say, well, I know how to apply God to my life. I just tell you, one of the most important things you could ever do with your faith is put your faith in the character of God and not in your understanding of God. So many, man, I'll tell you story after story in my, just my own life personally where I had to genuinely make the decision, do I trust who God is or do I trust what I know about, do I, do I trust what I understand? I told you this at the beginning, you'll be brought to places 
your, your promised land, your, your, your moment, your time of leaving Egypt, leaving the wilderness, will be full of these moments. Not frolicking through the tulips or tiptoeing through whatever those flowers are, but it'll be full of moments where you have to answer one question. Do you trust who God is or do you is your faith in your own understanding? Keith, you guys can come up. I'm going to wrap up. Because when we don't, we would look at a wall and we would start chipping away at a wall where we can reach. Right? If, if there was a 12-foot wall in here and I said, all right, tear down the wall. Most of you would have a real hard time tearing down that wall. One of the coolest things, one of the coolest like little details in the New Testament, <coughs> in the temple in Jerusalem, um, there was the inner room. It's where God's presence resided. And there was a veil in, in the inner room, and the veil kept basically God's presence from people. And only like once a year could like one person go into the inner room and into God's presence. And Scripture says that when Jesus died, that the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And what is so cool to think about is that that veil was like 45 feet high and was lit, was not made so that man no man could rip it. It quite literally ripped from the top to the bottom. God literally ripped something only he could rip because only he could have ripped it from the top and separated from that moment on. His pre he, he made sure that his presence and his people would never be separated again. But what happens for so many of us, and the reason, man, it's so cool when we were seeing the Spirit break out just a few minutes ago. Only God could really tear down a wall from its foundation. Only God could really do something uh, like what He did at Jericho. Because most of us, if we saw, hey, I need you to get from this side of the wall to the next, you, we would just focus on punching a hole through the wall so that all of us could get through the hole. God literally tore down the entire thing what I think is so symbolic of Jericho and the Israelites and what is so uh, I mean if you really want to start dissecting this story Satan your, your enemy whatever you want to call him has a way of building walls within our life real real subtly he does it quietly most of the time he starts when we're young. He can start it with a lie. He can start it with trauma. He can start it with a bad experience. He can start it with family members. He can start it with, with, with so many other things. And most of us, we come before God and we're like, man, I have this issue. I have this problem. God, just break it. And we, we, use the, we use the term change a lot. We talk about God, you know, I just, just break my bond with this thing. Break my chain with this thing. But the reality is we have walls. Most of us have walls on each side of us that never get torn down because we've lived with them our whole life and we, most, we don't even realize they're there. The, the Spirit of God is looking for people who would allow walls to be torn down, not because you understand how He's going to do it, 
because you trust that he's good to do it. And and the hindrance that will happen in your life exists simply because Simply because you, you have to know that you have to know the answers to all the questions. And so we're going to end just a little bit differently tonight. We're going to go back um, just into a time of worship into this song. Um, obviously, guys, the altars are open. If you want to come and receive prayer, we'll minister with you. But I want you to genuinely sing this song in every word that comes with it. So stand to your feet. We're going to go into a time of worship. I'm going to pray for you, but hear me, guys. If we sing spirit break out, the spirit's not gonna break out just so you can have a butterfly or an emotional experience and wake up and be the same person tomorrow. If we pursue, we say, you know, tear our walls down. Tearing walls down makes a mess. We say heaven, you know, heaven come to earth. You gotta be ready for what that looks like. Jericho was about one thing. It was about obedience. It was about consistency. And so while tonight is just as much about right now, it is also about the next six days. From now until when you're back here next week, can you do the little things? Can you do the consistent things? Can you do the things that don't make sense? Can you be obedient when you don't understand it? Can you be quiet when you need to be quiet? Can you make a noise when you need to make a noise? I wholeheartedly believe that God wants to do something miraculous in every single one of your lives. But we keep them at bay mostly because we're like, well, until I know how you're going to do it, until I understand how you're going to do it, until I have all the answers, until I can figure this out on my own, until I, you know, until I feel comfortable, God, I'm not ready. And I understand the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on anybody or through anything. But guys, I encourage you so stinking much tonight to get out of your own head. Get out of your own way. Quit boxing up God into the world of you can only do what I understand. You can only do what I believe. You can only do what, what I say you can do. The Holy Spirit, we come before you tonight, God, and we, uh, with an open hand before you, Lord, I pray that you would move in every single one of our hearts. God, we are going to pursue you right now through worship and through this song. We are going to give you permission to break out in our lives. We are giving you permission, God, to tear down walls, to break chains. We are are desiring for heaven to come to earth in our life, in this room, but also in our houses, in our schools, in our jobs. Father, when we sing this song, I pray that it wouldn't just be about this moment, but it would be about every moment that comes forth. Some of us have, have come into the promised land and we've been discouraged because now that we're here, we've realized there's a battle ensuing. For some of you, you've really been trying and you've really been trying to do this right and you've been giving it your all every single week and it hasn't been easy and you're in the midst of a battle. Let me tell you something. God will fight for you. The promised land is full of battles. It is full of giants. It is full of work. But it is most importantly full of a faithful God. 
most importantly full of a God who is faithful and obedient. The Holy Spirit, pour it out on us tonight. Thank you for downloading today's message. Again, we hope that it encouraged you, blessed you, and edified you. If you are a high school, middle school, or even a uh, young adult in the Panama City area, we would love to have you come be a part of our services at High Praise Panama City. Our YTH services are every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. The mix, our pre-service time, starts at 5 o'clock. We would love to have you out. If not, find a way to connect with us on Instagram at hp.yth. We would love to connect with you in some way. And God bless.